For Facebook, it was old news. But for 500 million of its users, it was very new and it was very shocking. Yes, this week on Download This Show, phone numbers and personal data leaked online from Facebook. So how did it happen and what can you do about it? Plus, Kurt Cobain has made a new song from Beyond the Grave thanks to artificial intelligence, but is it any good? And Microsoft has announced that it is providing augmented reality headsets to the US Army to help troops identify targets and danger, blurring the lines between video games, reality and war. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. We are joined from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute Cyber Policy Centre. Two policies for the price of one. Analyst extraordinaire, Ariel Vogel, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Malcolm. <laughs> pleasure is entirely mine. <laughs> policy, policy. And reporter with Gizmodo and Business Insider, two websites for the price of one. Cam, welcome back. Hi, good to be back. And it's another episode of Download This Show, another story about Facebook. You can drink now if that's a thing <laughs> that you do on the show. All right, so Facebook have leaked how many people's details, Cam? So the initial reporting is that it's about 530 million accounts and within that there's a whole bunch of details so that some of these accounts have their email addresses, phone numbers, all other kinds of personal data. From that we think that there's about 7.3 million Australian accounts so that's a pretty sizable chunk of the population. And I mean, we, we don't really know how many accounts belong to how many people because some accounts, some people have multiple accounts, but all in all, it's a pretty big one. And in there is a lot of kind of quite personal private information. Right. So Ariel, they've managed to get the details of in excess of the population of Sydney. Uh, what has been the defence put forward by Facebook? That this is old news, more <laughs> or less. So apparently, according to Facebook, this current data set that has been made available on a couple of sort of hackers forums and now by all accounts is pretty in, in wide distribution was uh, the result of a data breach that occurred in 2019 and has been patched well was patched in 2019 according to Facebook so it's in the past in that sense but it's certainly not in the past for the people who are in that data set and whose personal details as Cam outlined are now in pretty wide circulation. I think the phone numbers element here is really interesting and concerning because if you sign up to a platform like Facebook or another social media account, you're often prompted to provide a phone number as a security measure, at least that's how it's sold, so they can do what's known as two-factor authentication. So when you sign in, send you a text with a code that you enter and then you get into the platform. So even from 2018, uh, Facebook did admit then that it was not only using your mobile phone number as provided for security, but also for ad targeting. So it had already kind of moved the goalposts, arguably, in terms of what it was doing with your number. And now we see what can happen when data leaks, when it includes such personal details as names, date of births, emails and phone numbers. And it's not exactly like you can just change your phone number, right? I mean, you can, but... It's not a thing that people do often and it's not quite the same as just changing your password like you do if, say, your email password had been hacked. Totally. It's a, it's a pain in the backside and it, it is kind of possible. And I think in a way it is getting a little bit more like easier with things like eSIMs. But generally speaking, it's still a massive pain. You know, the thing is about data breaches is that they're kind of like 
you know, toxic dump like accidents where once the information is out there, it's out there forever and there's not much you can do to put the genie back in the bottle to mix those metaphors. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a real problem. And there's reporting that this information was actually out there as early as January in terms of it actually being kind of spread around. I think it was Motherboard, part of Vice, who said that there was a Telegram bot. So that's an encrypted messaging service that you could pay a couple of dollars and you could say, is this a number attached to a Facebook account? So we know that these these numbers have been out there for a while. And so I, I guess, you know, it, it's a problem. It's a problem that, you know, people might be able to fix. But let's face it, you know, most people in there, if they even ever find out that they've been affected by this, probably won't do anything about it. It's too much of a hassle. They'll probably just end, you know, they'll just deal with whatever spam comes their way. So, Ariel, can you find out if your details have been taken? So there are a few kind of third-party services, um, most notably for Australians. Um, there's one built by a guy in Queensland called Troy Hunt. You probably have talked about him on the program before. He runs a website. God, I'm going to say this wrong. Have I been pooned? Have I been pwned? Pwned, I think. Pwned? Pwned is the consensus. <laughs> I know there is definitely one called Have I Been Zarked at the <laughs> There's one, too. There's a few, like, third-party platforms that will let you enter in uh, your email address, for example, and it will tell you whether you're in this data set and in the case of Troy's website, uh, whether you're in a few... Uh, you know, recent data breaches. Unfortunately, I've looked at myself today and I was in about nine. Uh, I don't believe... <laughs> I don't want to look at it because I no. know I'll be there. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for me, I don't seem to be in the Facebook data set, but there are some people building tools now too so you can look up via phone numbers whether you appear in this Facebook data set. But as Cam said, unless you're willing to change your number, there's not that much you can really do on a personal level right now except taking those precautions around spam, not clicking links from sort of strange numbers, being really careful with who you give your number to in future. But I don't want to put all the emphasis on, you know, you and me and all the users of Facebook, put all the responsibility on them because really I think we're still waiting for a really clear, concise message from Facebook about what happened here, what's been leaked and what they're going to do about it. Are they going to do the kind of data breach notification that Australian law imposes on a whole lot of companies now? They can kind of send a, I think, a pop-up prompt as they have done in the past. And I think they actually might have done that with this. I mean, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, they are the people who take care of the data. You know, we put our information in there and if it gets breached, yeah, they might face some kind of consequences from the government, for instance, if they decide to take some kind of action. But generally the real cost is incurred by the individual. And I think, you know, one of the big problems with the way that a lot of systems are set up at the moment is that they use your mobile phone number or any phone number as kind of verification. But that's a kind of, that's a code that you give out all the time. You know, you give it out to friends. You might, if you use your personal phone number for work, you're sending out an emails. That information not only is how people contact you, but it's often the way that you verify your identity. And that dual purpose, I think, is increasingly becoming a bit of a problem. Right. So, Ariel, listening to this, if you're somebody who suspects that perhaps your information has been taken, are there basic tips you could offer people to avoid being taken in by a fishing expedition, as it were? Well, I think we've all probably seen an uptick in mobile spam. I know personally I, I've gotten like spammy WhatsApp messages recently uh, just via normal text. And you need to be careful but sort of common sense. If you're getting a text message from a, an account that's seemingly from Qantas, is it asking you to do something that Qantas would normally ask you to do? I mean, Qantas is not going to ask you to enter your bank details or your home address via a text message link. 
it is hard, but sort of slowing down and um, being really cautious and sure before you enter any personal details via a link sent over message is one thing. There can also be an increased uh, sort of awareness of this issue from telcos. So here in Australia, a number of the telcos do operate sort of spam filter numbers. They try to shut down numbers that are known links to spam and things like that. And I'm sure they're probably aware of this Facebook breach and as has been sort of described here, this breach has been around for quite a long time. Whether there will be an uptick in spam because of this kind of world phone book being released online and in pretty wide circulation, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you know, don't believe just messages that arrive in your uh, inbox. And I think also, you know, as much as you can, I try and be judicious about where I give out my mobile number now. You know, I try not to give it to places like uh, stores running, you know, rewards programs because my number and this kind of security that comes from that is actually pretty important. What if you like cheap deals? <laughs> then go for it. <laughs> I would also say too, like there's no perfect security, but I would try and move away from using your phone number for two-factor authentication. Talk to any tech expert. They will tell you there's nothing foolproof, completely safe, completely secure. But in general, they do recommend using an app. So downloading a sort of authentication app, which will have a sort of circulating code system to use that to log into platforms like social media or online shopping or government services rather than getting that text to your phone number where at all possible. Is there any particular app you guys recommend? You know, a couple of the the big tech companies run specific apps and you can just search it if you search, you know, Google, or Microsoft or any of them, an authenticator. And they all work pretty similarly. It's just, you know, it's it's not so much choosing between them as actually being bothered to set one up. <laughs> Ariel, anything you want to direct people to? Yeah, I'd say the same with Cam. Like they all work pretty similarly. I personally use Google Authenticator at the moment. It's worked pretty well for me. But as Cam said, you know, it's the combination of things using a password manager and an authenticator app. Once you've got that all set up, it's pretty smooth, but it does require that initial setup. All right. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Ariel Bogle from ASPI and Cam Wilson from Gizmodo and Business Insider. Mark Fennell is my name. And there's been a new release from Jimi Hendrix, Amy Winehouse, Jim Morrison from The Doors and Kurt Cobain, even though all those people have been dead for a very long time. And the way these new songs have been released has been via AI. And my God, it is creepy. Tell me why these artists have suddenly released new material through the power of AI Cam. So there's a, a charity that's from Canada and they are trying to raise awareness about mental health issues. And so the way that they've kind of done that is that they've teamed up with a couple of places that are AI specialists and said, why don't we come up with AI versions of songs from these artists by analysing all the work that they've done in the past and you know essentially sticking it in some box and out came a bunch of generated tunes. And so what they did is they they took all of the samples that came out. I think they got 30 or something. And then they kind of cut them down and they said, these ones actually sound like the artists. And then they, I think for some of them, they got the vocalists done by a, a real person, but often they used like electronic instruments to create pretty legit sounding versions of songs by long dead artists. Yeah, they got uh, some vocalists in, but even the lyrics were AI generated. Uh, as I mentioned, there's Jimi Hendrix, Amy Winehouse, uh, Jim Morrison from The Doors and Kurt Cobain, who all of course died at the age of 27. Ariel, what do you think of how accurate they sound? I mean, they're not bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I, I kind of, like, they sound accurate enough. I wouldn't say I'm like the world's biggest Jimi Hendrix fan to have the authority <laughs> to have an opinion on whether an AI version of his song uh, passes muster. I guess it's an interesting situation. I think there might be some purists that don't really like the idea of their favorite artist's music sort of being regenerated from beyond the grave. Personally, I don't mind it. I think it's kind of an interesting creative opportunity. I can see how, you know, you might want to recreate the music of these big names, especially because it's around this age 27 and it's for a mental health charity. But beyond this kind of use case, you can see it, you could see some pretty creative and interesting uses of it by different artists um, who hopefully move beyond just trying to recreate uh, Nirvana and move into building off that and creating something entirely new. It does create all kinds of interesting ethical issues. I know I remember when Gene Kelly and Audrey Hepburn were used in ad campaigns many years after their death, there was some you know, quite legitimate conversation about whether or not that's okay. I note that Robin Williams, the comedian, signed a deed before he died limiting the use of his likenesses after his death. So that's late enough in the game to recognise the future. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people like Dolly Parton, who is literally recording acoustic versions of songs, like on a click track, in the hope that some future DJ comes back and does something amazing with it. Do you think that stars are getting wiser about what happens to their likeness artifact, particularly in light of, you know, this age of deep fakes that we're in at the moment, Cam? Yeah, definitely. I think that they are becoming more savvy about how they own their music and the, the different ways that it could be used in their likeness as well. And I, I think, you know, I think there's a tendency sometimes with new tech stuff to come in and be like, what is the worst thing that can happen? And, and in it's many always ways... always porn. <laughs> always porn. Without fail. <laughs> exactly. And in, in many ways, I think that, of course, like, there are some potentially dodgy ways that this could be used but I kind of am for I think for once like kind of excited about how this could be used you know like if you are a mega fan of these people and you really want to hear more of their stuff this is cool but I also think that this tool could be used by other artists like you know imagine being an artist and being like hey why don't I toss a bunch of my existing songs in there and see what it comes up with and then use that to kind of riff off. Like, oh, yeah. like wh- why don't Breaking we... Breaking writer's block. Yeah, exactly. Or, or like just thinking of, you know, different stimulus that could help you as an artist. So I think, you know, even hypothetically, if you can just generate a new song, we now as fans, as consumers, expect more from musicians and this will never replace that. Ariel, I mean, I know we are always mindful of like the worst possible thing that can happen from this technology, which to be fair, I think is an important job for this show. (laughs) And often happens. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it always ends in Nazis or porn um, or saying, or Facebook doing something. Is that the Fennell law? Uh, I mean, (laughs) law law is a very strong word, but it, it does seem to be a constant. What do you think the likely future of this technology is? What do you think it's actually going to end up being used for, Ariel? Yeah, it's an interesting question and I would like sort of draw lines between uh, technology that recreates somebody's physical likeness from audio for some reason. You know, I'm sure somebody will prove me wrong with some heinous use case for audio <laughs> AI, but at the moment... Um, the a ransom sort of, note, exactly. know, like a ransom call. Well, actually, let me draw a distinction. There is a lot of concern actually with uh, voice replication. Mm. Sort of accurate voice replication um, could actually have really significant impacts for dis- the spread of disinformation if you manage to accurately create, you know, 
Donald Trump's voice, Biden's voice, Scott Morrison's voice. But the recreation of music based on past music by Jimi Hendrix, I'm, I'm going to be proven wrong for sure as soon as I say <laughs> this. But at the moment, I can't see. I can see it as a creative prompt, as we've talked about. Um, I can see it being really sort of interesting. But I, I would be, I'm curious to see it move past stunts because this is kind of a stunt. It's for a charity. It's to raise awareness. When it becomes uh, the first artist that sort of involves it in the creative process, and I, I believe there are already artists that have done sort of versions of this, I think that's where we'll see some really interesting innovation. And I can definitely see artists like Charlie XCX or Lil Nas X using it. For and sure. other people who have X in their title. I <laughs> mean, exactly. just, oh, just to, to throw a grenade at this, right? The intellectual property and the copyright implications of this are really interesting. If AI is taking somebody's entire back catalogue and extrapolating that into make a new creative work, is there a copyright argument that it is an extension of the existing intellectual property of Jim Morrison or Amy Winehouse or, and all the different producers that worked on that? Or are we classifying it as a new work, even though it is by its very definition, Cam, a derivative? Uh, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I'll speculate wildly anyway. <laughs> that's all I ask. Speculate. That's all I ask you to do. Yeah. Speculate wildly with uh, little abandon for uh, the legal implications. Exactly. Allow me to offer uh, legal advice on the public broadcaster. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I think it's transformative, which is part of copyright law. You know, this idea that you're kind of making something new altogether. You know, part of practical part of law is will artists actually go after someone who's using this? And, you know, it, it, it might happen, but it just does seem so niche that I don't see it really happening. I also think that, you know, part of this process that, you know, we see the end product, but we, we actually know that they put in a whole bunch of prompts, the, the teams, like they gave a lot of material and then they got a lot of output and then they cut that down. And that's often the case with these AI projects. It's not like you are saying, hey, upload my iTunes library and then spit out music that's perfect. A lot of them are really dodgy. They're really obvious. And so, you know, even as at the moment, this process is not going to be, you know, replacing musicians uh, like immediately. Mm. Uh, lawyer Cam Wilson has rested his case. <laughs> Barrister, solicitor, I don't know what the legal oh. terms are. Ariel Bogle, would you care to comment on this case? Queen's Council. Queen's Council, there we go. <laughs> <sighs> it turns out my two months of a media and communications degree has not prepared me for this <laughs> child of the century. <laughs> yeah, I think Cam makes a really good point there, though. The human in the machine is still really present here. And that, I mean, that's true of a lot of AI. A lot of big claims are made around AI and machine learning, but the human labour is still really distinctly there and you can see it in this project I mean they still had to get a Nirvana cover band singer to sing the song at the end of the day yes but also maybe it's like an interesting flashback to some of the legal fights that happened over remixing and sample culture so you, you know of course, a lot of hip-hop, rap music, R&B uh, really pioneered this idea of sampling older songs, making something new out of it. And there were a lot of legal cases, I mean, there still are, around those kinds of songs. And then there was that sort of era of DJs that were never really created a song from scratch, but were completely sample DJs, like Girl Talk, you might remember, yes. from maybe mid-2010s, maybe yeah. peaked. Yeah, um, when, when I peaked in, in my 20s, thank you. <laughs> when Mark peaked. When Mark peaked. These legal... <laughs> <laughs> These legal fights are ongoing. So, you know, there may be some uh, interesting cases to look at there for now because there is a lot of selection here. So the AI, they fed 30 songs. They had to choose 30 songs to feed into their AI and they had to break those 
those songs down into sort of melody, guitar riff, little interparts, and then feed it into this Google AI system and then pull out what came on the other side, commission a singer. So maybe it does fit more in this remix category uh, than something completely new, completely computer generated. I suppose if we are talking about a future where voices can be completely replicated, it's actually weirdly its most concerning application is when, well, when Facebook accidentally leaks your phone number Mm. and suddenly you can get a phone call. Like you could do real damage with the combination of a phone number and a pretty convincing voice replica can. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, with a lot of these things like deep fakes with voice replication, a lot of the time they are still pretty obvious. Like even the most advanced ones, you can kind of tell if you're paying attention. I think the big issue is this idea of just like reality fatigue. It gets harder and harder for each of us to understand like what is real that it makes it everything just like a more difficult process. And oh, so, somebody watched The Matrix too many times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ariel, any thoughts on what happens when you've got a pretty convincing voice replica and Facebook clicks your phone number? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities, I suppose, that idea of reality fatigue. Maybe the AI voice replication uh, of, you know, somebody saying something, a message, doesn't have to be that good. It just needs to convince one journalist at one news outlet to write one story and that kicks off the news cycle. Even if it's debunked really quickly, the ability of a news story that's based on disinformation to travel widely on social media before it can be adequately corrected is a really big issue. And some often, as I've discovered <laughs> on reporting on these issues, often people never see the correction, uh, even if the story was corrected really quickly. So I think that kind of issue where it's not, it doesn't even have to be that good to move markets to set an agenda quickly. Yeah, look, you know, it's going to be difficult <laughs> because it's going to make our job harder. But I, I do think the way things are going to be moving forward is we're going to now move back to needing more and more proof of identification, you know, like people trying to verify their identity online so we don't just trust getting a number or a voice anymore. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guests are Ariel Bogle, Cam Wilson and Mark Fennell is my name. And from reality fatigue to augmented reality. The US Army has just done a $22 billion deal to have augmented reality headsets for the US military, Ariel. This sounds like fun. Exactly what are they getting? Good question. It's not really clear. So Microsoft, as you said, announced this multi-billion dollar deal to provide HoloLens tech to the US military, these kind of augmented reality headset that have actually been around for quite a while. And I was reading this story today, I got deja vu because I swear this stuff gets announced (laughs) periodically and we never quite hear what happens. So did this work for the military? Um, That's what I'm really curious about. So when they're talking about what this could be used for, you know, the head of Microsoft, Brad Smith, was talking about how it could uh, simulate a building in a hostage situation, I suppose, so soldiers could train in the scenario that they're going into and get prepped. I mean, versions of this happen already um, in the military. They sort of build fake structures to practice these kinds of scenarios. And there has for a while been this idea that AR and VR could step in and help with this kind of training scenarios. Uh, So, you know, as these things get announced, I'm still waiting for uh, the US military to be like, yeah, it was fab, Uh, our military are super soldiers now because of AR, but we haven't quite got uh, that level of accountability and follow-up, I suppose, to the 
sort of deluge of these stories over the past few years. So Microsoft HoloLens is one of a few augmented reality headsets. And just to describe the experience of putting one on, although not necessarily the experience that the US military will receive, is you put a headset over you and then you can still see the world around you, but it overlays images on top. The best analogy I can give is if you've ever seen one of the Iron Man or Avengers movies, they sort of replicate an experience that isn't, you know, isn't a world away from what you get with HoloLens. Have you ever tried it, Cam? I've never tried it. The thing that I find really interesting is this real confluence that's happening between uh, video games and, like, the military that we're seeing in a bunch of different factors. Like, you know, games are obviously, many of them kind of simulate combat. You know, they are often used to recruit people. You know, there was an, an army game that used to exist back, I think, in the early part of last decade, all the way to that they have recruiters streaming on Twitch and stuff. So it is interesting how we're seeing not only military using that as a kind of way to bring people in, but also, you know, if you have this HoloLens, it's going to be very familiar to many of the people who are teens and played, you know, games using HoloLens and then grow up and then can now use it in the army. Mm. I guess that, that relationship has been a, a kind of an evolving one, Ariel, ever since the, the dawn of popular culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the relationship between the US military and Hollywood is a subject for a whole other podcast. I mean, even the Marvel MCU kind of universe of the past few years, there are strong connections there. I think there was a relationship between the US Air Force and Captain Marvel, because Captain Marvel is a pilot, I believe. Don't yep. quote me. Not, nope. a, not a Captain Carol, Marvel expert. Carol Danvers, she was a, <laughs> she was a pilot. Can back it, that up on that one. Exactly. So this relationship between popular culture and military recruitment or sort of cultivating image um, has been around for a long time. And yeah, I guess with HoloLens, the popular culture link there, I guess it seems like according to what's been announced by Microsoft and the US military is that this is about practicalities. It's about training. It's about event simulation. But also there was some mention that it could be used in actual combat scenarios. And that's something I'm really curious about. I mean, what kind of functionality are Microsoft able to support on these HoloLens around sort of night vision or facial recognition even? I think that was flagged. It would be great to understand a bit more about exactly how that would work in practice. What does HoloLens actually get used for, generally speaking, now? Because I feel like we've... Over the years on this show, we've sort of experimented with um, augmented reality headsets and there was like a big push around about kind of 2013, 2014, where a bunch of them came out. There was space glasses and a whole bunch of things that were being crowdfunded. Let's never forget Google Glass. (laughs) I feel like it's been very unclear as to what the use case for it is, at least in a consumer market. Oh, and I just remembered Snapchat spectacles as well, right? So there's been a bunch of these different things that have come out. Is there been a like a persistent use case for them, Cam? I reckon the most useful one is actually AirPods. I know it's not a visual one, but you've got, at the moment, you can listen to, obviously, things that are coming through your headphones. You can use the voice assistant. You can get, like, directions and stuff through them. I kind of view that as a form of augmented reality. I still haven't really seen it widespread in visual use, and I think that's partly because you look like a bit of a dickhead if you've got these, like, big, weird goggles on you. I do know that they, you know... AR and VR both kind of gets used in, in different video game settings. But again, I, I still don't think it is super widespread. That looks like a ticket factor is a really difficult thing to mount. Ariel is there. Wow, that's a weird sentence said out loud. Um, oh, well, um, it's, a t- it's a fact. Quite I back it. it. Um, having tried most of them, yeah, do look like one. Ariel, is there, in terms of that visual space, has there been a good consistent example of where augmented reality has proven useful for people that you've noted? 
honestly haven't really noted it. I mean, especially because I work in an industry where it's not commonly used at all. <laughs> I can't really quite see the use case. I mean, there has been discussion of it being used for architecture and design. That could be interesting if you can kind of visualize a space that you're building in advance of it being built, look for flaws, uh, look for a creative potential. But, you know, this all sounds like an ad. Like, I honestly don't know anybody who uses it day to day um, in those industries anyway. I think augmented reality is the one that I'm probably more keen on. I think virtual reality is useful. And, and, you know, we do use virtual reality in many ways, but not through the actual headsets. Like, you know, every time you're going on something like Fortnite, you know, in a way that's a virtual reality. But augmented reality for me is the kind of one that's still interesting. And, and I think at some point, someone will crack it and be able to bring some kind of consumer product that looks good is useful. But I actually think that how it's currently sneakily coming through audio products is, is pretty interesting as well. It suddenly occurred to me that the most useful form of augmented reality I can think of in recent history has been Pokemon Go, uh, where you use the mm. phone. I keep thinking about a headset, but of course, Pokemon Go was probably the closest example where people used it. And even then, burned very brightly, very short period of time. But I guess we use it in like Instagram stories and Snapchat lenses. You know, they are in a way, they may not seem like super useful, but you know, this may be the start of, of something that's even bigger that we just barely paid attention to. Well, we shall see. That is all we've got time for on the show this week. Cam Wilson, thanks for being back on the show. Thanks. And Ariel Bogle, it's always a joy to have you back on the show. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Download This Show. We'll catch you next week. My name is Mark Fennell. Goodbye. Goodbye.